My name is Andrea Bumstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android App Store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. It was cold this morning, man. Jeez, like super cold. A uh, couple housekeeping things really quickly. Um, if you grabbed an ornament off of the tree. Yes, Kevin. Kevin's going back there right now. There's a white bag in the back if you were, if you were participating in, the, what's it called again, Kev? I don't want to butcher the name. I just put you on the spot in front of everyone. I love it. Uh, it's the help of foster families I just forgot the name of the organization. That's the only thing. Elroy, that's what it is. Yeah, the Elroy Foster Club, the, the white bag in the back, if you grabbed an ornament off the tree, that's where the gift cards go. Okay, we forgot to mention that. I want to make sure you're aware of that. Kevin just went back there. Sorry to put you on the spot, Kev, but thank you. Your hair looks great, man. Well done. Yeah, we, got, we already got an eye agree from the back, dude. So you're like, you're on blast. All right, let me start my timer. Okay, uh, a couple more housekeeping things really quickly. Herrick mentioned the Christmas party next Sunday. Guys, I'm so thankful we get to do this. Like, Last year, it was canceled, and it was such a bummer because it's something we look forward to every single year, like pause, celebrate together the coming of our Jesus, the Savior of our soul, God becoming flesh, like actually setting time aside to, to party and celebrate the goodness of God together. We get to do that this Sunday. So again, we're not going to be here that morning. We'll be there 3 p.m. that afternoon. All the information that you'll ever need with that is on the website. Please RSVP so we can plan for food. Um, now, the following week, we were kind of putting the feelers out, are we going to gather that next Sunday, the 26th? And we, we sent out a bunch, many of you guys got the, the text message, hey, what's your plans? Are you going to be in town? Are you going to be out of town? And the vast majority of you were like, yes, we want to gather. So we're, going to have, we're going to still going to have gathering the 26th that Sunday, as well as the following Sunday, the, the 2nd of January. So just to put the calendar in front of you, the only Sunday morning that we won't be gathering will be next week because of the Christmas party. You got me? Sound good? Cool. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. All right. This morning, we are now in week two in this new series that we kicked off last week called The King and His Kingdom. And it's convenient for us because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through the Gospel of Matthew for <laughs> a really long time. Uh, but we're going to be going through the Gospel of Matthew. And the reason I say it's convenient is because Matthew is chock full of man, incredible pockets that we can kind of hone in on for a season. So the language we've used is we'll do a handful of mini-series within the King and His Kingdom umbrella series, okay? And this morning, we're going to wrap up a two-week mini-series uh, on Advent. Advent is the, the season leading up to Christmas Day, the season leading up to the arrival, that's what Advent means, is arrival, of our Messiah, of the Christ, our Jesus. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump back in where we've left off here in Matthew chapter 1. And 
one of the things that gets me kind of excited about Advent is, I mean, think about this, guys. Like the whole, the whole not the whole world, but the entire church all over the world celebrates, they spend these next couple few weeks leading up to Christmas, they spend this time thinking through the implications that God put on flesh and the person of Jesus to come and rescue them. That's what the church does. They give themselves over to like, like meditating on that and considering all of its implications. And this isn't something that just like our church does or the churches in this valley or this state or this region does. It's something that the family of God all over the planet is doing. Why? Because Jesus is the center. Jesus is the point. He is the, he's the focal point of what it means for us to not just be human, but to be included in God's family, his eternal family. It's because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So Advent really is a special time for us. Now, uh, what I want to do is I want to spend some time just kind of praying before we go into the scriptures because I don't know if you're anything like me, uh, but the last few days, for whatever reason, my head has just kind of felt cloudy. And I'm not totally sure why, but I really want all of us to be able to really receive the beauty that's in this passage this morning. I don't want any distractions. I don't want for me. I don't want it for you. So will you pray with me? Let's pray before we jump in. Oh, Father, thank you for your goodness your faithful love to us. Thanks for always taking care of us. And Spirit, I ask that you'd help us this morning. Would you make us aware? Would you make us more aware of your presence, more aware of your goodness, more aware of the things maybe that are going on in our lives that would kind of like keep us from being aware? Like I talked about maybe a cloudy mind or maybe a frantic pace for some people in the room this morning. Uh, maybe there's some unsettledness in the room this morning. But for all of us, would you help us? Would you make us aware? Um, Spirit, would you help me to speak effectively and clearly? Would you help me not get in the way of what you want to accomplish this morning through your word? I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of that. I want to love my friends and family in this room. So be with us. We open ourselves to you as you invite us into your word. We love you, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 1, we're going to go verses 18 through 25. I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to talk about it, okay? So let's jump in together. Verse 18, and I'll just read through the whole passage. It says this. I'm in the Christian Standard Bible, by the way. If you don't have your Bible, the guys put the words up there. Thanks, Dave. All right, starting in verse 18, it says this. The birth of Jesus Christ, remember Christ is not his last name, Christ is, is the, the, the title, it's, it's synonymous with Messiah, it's the promised one, right? The prophet, the priest, the king, the promised one to come to crush Satan's head from Genesis 3.15 like we talked about last Sunday, right? Our deliverer, the Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, it's interesting that it says husband because they hadn't been married yet, but in this culture, an engagement was like, man, it was like you were set aside, okay? There wasn't, they didn't, they, very, very rarely did they break engagements, okay? But they weren't yet married, okay? So, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. 
But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. All right, that's our passage. What I want to do is I want to kind of chat through and highlight a few things here, all right? The first thing, I want you to consider something for a second. I want you to just kind of insert yourself as much as you can into Joseph and Mary's experience here, all right? This isn't like a fable. This is, this is real. And I, I think so oftentimes we can approach the scriptures and, and, and almost miss some of the depth that's happening here. Like put yourself in their position, Okay, you have a young woman, Mary, who God conceives a child in her. Okay, so it's a, it's a miraculous conception that takes place, which results in a pre-marital pregnancy. All right, so Joseph's engaged to be married to her. He finds out that she's pregnant. It's not his baby. So he says like, okay, this is, I didn't expect that. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. And then she says, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. And he's like, okay, that's a tough situation. Would you not agree? And consider Mary for a second. What that must have been like for her. What that must have been like for both of them, because no doubt they belonged to a community, and no doubt that community would have shamed them a little bit. Because again, you have this, this pregnancy that's happened outside of the context of marriage. This is like very taboo at the time. So again, like think about what this must have been like for them, what that experience must have felt like. I think we can all agree they would have been severely misunderstood. They knew that what was conceived in her was from God, not from, you know, a moment of, of sin. And yet their friends and their neighbors, they all would have had opinions, no doubt. Consider their experience for just a moment, guys. You see, oftentimes, God's way that results in being misunderstood by the culture around you. When I say God's way, what I'm talking about is his rule, his reign, his kingdom. This whole series that we're going through, right? The king and his kingdom. We're approaching the gospel of Matthew, trying to, trying to discern and understand as much as we can about what God's kingdom is like, what it looks like to live in his rule, in his reign, under his way. And so when I say like God's way, that's what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about his kingdom. His way, it results in being misunderstood by the culture around you. Think about it for just a second, okay? Here's an example for you. God calls his people to radical generosity, right? That's something we, if you read the New Testament, you're like, yeah, God calls his people to radical generosity. Why? Because he's so radically generous to us. And here's the thing. God doesn't call us to just be radically generous, he calls us to be sacrificially generous. Sacrificial, it means it costs us something. 
okay? It costs us something. So whether it's uh, our money or our time or all of our resources, God calls us to be sacrificially generous. Why? Because he's been so sacrificially generous with us. But here's the thing. When you sacrifice on the ben- for the benefit of others, instead of like getting ahead, accumulating to get ahead, when you do that, you're gonna be misunderstood by the culture around you. No doubt. Because sacrificial generosity in the eyes of the world is foolish. Why would you do that? We live in a culture that's centered on what? Self. Absolutely. No matter where you look, you're being bombarded with advertisements, with opinions, all of it, our culture. It's centered on the self, the individual experiencing self, okay? And so within that culture, you only give that which you can afford to, whether it be time, whether it be money, whether it be any resource that you possess. You only give that what you can afford to, that which doesn't inconvenience you too much, that which doesn't impact your place on the ladder of prosperity that you desire to occupy. The culture's not anti-generosity. It's anti-sacrificial generosity. But here's the thing. Even though it's foolishness to the world, to the kingdom of God, sacrificial generosity is wise. How do we know? Jesus. No one sacrificed more. No one was more generous. No one was more wise. And guys, that's like the heart of the Christmas story, man. It's the heart of the Christmas story. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 sums it up so well, better than I ever could. Check this out. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Can you personalize this for just a second, friends? This is for you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's at the heart of the Christmas story. Sacrificial generosity, radical generosity, self-giving generosity. The second person of the Trinity, right? The son of God left the riches of heaven. He was literally born into poverty, friends. Like we read the story. He was born in a manger. It's like a feeding trough. He's literally born into poverty. He suffers greatly. Why? So that you can I, so that you and I could experience the riches of the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Question for you: What other king operates like that? The answer is none. There's nobody like him. Nobody even comes close. In our culture, so oftentimes, you guys have experienced this, so oftentimes, authority is used to benefit whom? Self. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. The kingdom of God has a different king who operates in a different way. He uses his authority for the benefit of others. It's radical. It's powerful. It's otherworldly. It's divine. Oftentimes, God's way results in being misunderstood by the culture. Here's a hot button topic. Youth, listen to me for just a second. You guys are gonna face this in some massive ways. I want you to just consider sexuality for a moment. Think about it. When a person adopts a biblical sexual ethic, that's, that's what this is, the belief that sex is reserved for a wife and her husband within the, within the covenant of marriage. That's a biblical sexual ethic, okay? When a person adopts a biblical sexual ethic, 
they're gonna be misunderstood by the culture every single time. It happens to me, guys, it happens to me like at least monthly where no doubt I'll meet someone, we'll be talking and the question comes up, oh, so what do you do? And I'd respond with, you know, I'm a pastor. And, and what they hear is, and it, it grieves me every time, what they hear is, oh, you're a bigot. And especially to the gay community. And it, it grieves my heart every single time. The scriptures are really clear, like all have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are, are beyond being like rescued from our sin and our selfishness. To modern culture, sex is centered on self. It's all about me. And we wonder why pornography is so pervasive in our culture and so damaging. It's training an entire culture to view sex as, as though it's centered on self. It's all about me. Instead of, instead of sex being this sacred act, hear me, that, that, that mirrors the selfless love given within the three persons of the Trinity. Each person existing to glorify the other and love the other. Self-giving love. Instead of it being like the selfless love, this beautiful picture, the sacred act, it becomes a selfish act in our culture. Hear me, where other people are used. They're used to satisfy a physical or an emotional appetite. In the process, do you know what happens? I see this as a pastor and it breaks my heart, guys. What happens is people are dehumanized. They use each other instead of love each other. And what happens is sex is elevated above God to a place of worship. And the next thing you know, a person's sexual appetite becomes to, it starts to uh, define who they are as a person. This is not limited to heterosexuals. This is not limited to homosexuals. This is all people. All of us desperately need to be redeemed. And sex is just one of those, er those issues in our culture that is so, there's so much brokenness attached to it. And here's the danger, guys. The danger is when we take on a self-defined identity instead of a God-defined identity. Do you know that's what it means to be human? To be made in the image of God? It says that God defines who I am. He's my maker. And the culture is trying so desperately to condition us to say, you should define who you are in every respect. So often, living God's way results in being misunderstood by the culture. That's the first thing I wanted to draw your attention to. It's a small thing here, but I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? The second thing, the virgin birth. Why a virgin birth? Have you ever given this any thought? It's this incredible reality, though, right? Like, think about how miraculous a virgin birth is. It's never happened before, right? It's impressive. It's an incredible miracle. But what I want you to do is I want you to zoom out for just a second. Okay, zoom out for just a second and look at the Bible as like a story because you can approach the Bible in, in multiple different ways, all of which are beneficial. You can approach the Bible as sort of like the devotional book that you pick and choose different passages that, that inspire you or that point to the goodness of God in a specific way. That's cool, that's great, that's wonderful. You can approach the Bible as though it's doctrine, right? These truths to live by, wonderful, good. But before it's either uh, doctrine or before it is um, devotion, it's a drama. 
It's this beautiful unfolding story of God redeeming with his love. So as we zoom out, I want you to just consider the story, the overarching narrative of what's happening in the scriptures here, right? God makes this incredible promise that he's gonna send the Christ, he's gonna send the Messiah, he's gonna send the Savior to redeem. And God's executing that plan. Look back at verse 21. Look back at verse 21 for just a second. It says this. This is the angel speaking to Joseph. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Why does it say because? It says because, because Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. It literally means God saves. It's the meaning of Jesus' name. So he goes, you're gonna name him essentially, you're gonna name this boy God saves because God's gonna save his people through his, uh, from their sins. So it's this beautiful picture of God's intentionality in redeeming all of creation. That's awesome, right? But again, why the virgin birth? There's beauty here. There's glory here. Can somebody tell me, what are the two results of sin? This is a, this is a really heavy Christmas message, sorry. What are the two results of sin? Separation, yeah, and one more. Death. The wages of sin is death. You have a holy God who desires to be with his people and sin separates us from a holy God. Okay, so you have death and you have separation. Those are the two kind of outcomes, the two results of sin. God saving his people from their sin means dealing with both of those things. It means dealing with death once and for all, the thing that I think arguably all of us hate more than anything, and dealing with separation from him. How does God deal with it? It's super important for us to understand these concepts because there's a reality that God wants to meet with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And how many of you know there's a difference, there's a difference between knowing things about someone and knowing them? And if Christmas tells us anything, it's that he wants to know you and he wants you to know him not just things about him. So these things are important, okay? How does God deal with sin? How does he deal with the the, the death problem and the separation problem? He deals with it the same way he has from the very beginning, through the substitution of innocent blood, okay? Track with me. Fast, or rewind back to Adam and Eve. You guys know the story of Adam and Eve, right? God creates them. He creates everything. It's perfect. It's glorious. It's beautiful. They have everything they need, Okay, imagine for a second if you had every single thing that you wanted slash needed. Imagine what it would feel like to be fully satisfied. I can't think of anything better than that. So that's the way it is. God creates it, it's perfect. All things are good. Okay, Adam and Eve, they choose their own way. They kind of reject God and his ways. Sin enters the world through them. Now you have what? Death and separation. Not because God's this angry, mean God, but because him being in their presence, his holiness being in the presence of the sinner would destroy the sinner. I want you guys to see this concept. Do you remember what happened right after the fall? So right after uh, Eve is deceived by the serpent, her and Adam sin, sin enters the world. Do you remember what happens right after that? God does something. Yeah, he makes them clothes out of what? out of an animal. God makes them clothes out of an animal because they needed to be covered. 
The result of sin was they needed to be clothed, they needed to be covered. Where there was once no shame, now there's shame. Where there was once no separation between God and man, now there is. And if they're, if, if they're going to be together, they have to be covered. And how does he do it? God kills an animal to provide for them the covering that they need. It was the shedding of innocent blood. That's Genesis like 3 at the very beginning, okay? And then you fast forward to all the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's really bloody. Have you read it? It's crazy. They're killing animals all over the place, okay? It's like a massacre. Sad. But you have these animal sacrifices that the people in God are engaging in, right? Whether it's the tabernacle or the temple. And the whole point was that God desired to be with his people. He desired to be with them. But again, the, the idea of a sinner would be destroyed in the presence of a holy God. Again, they needed a covering, right? So what did God graciously do? He provided a way for that to be possible without it destroying his people. It required a substitute. An animal, without blemish, the scripture says, would be sacrificed as a substitute. You ever heard the phrase scapegoat? That's exactly where we get it from. The goat that all of the blame is put on them. Okay? It was the shedding of innocent blood to cover their sins so they could be in God's presence without being like vaporized. It was God making it possible for them to be with him. And then again, consider, zoom out on the story again. Sin continues to run rampant. As much as God makes a way for him to be like close to his people and engaged with his people, they continue to sin, right? And it became super clear that no amount of innocent blood could wash away all their sins, right? There, there wasn't enough innocent animal blood in the entire world to accomplish the task. Mankind needed a greater sacrifice. We needed a blood that was great enough to cover all sin for all time. And the only blood that would work, the only blood that could actually do that is divine blood. The innocent blood of God himself. So God became flesh and blood. I know this is a lot of information, this is a lot of like review, but trust me, I'm going somewhere. Mankind needed a greater sacrifice, a divine blood, a blood that would all time forever cover and wash away their sin. So God became flesh and blood. And it required a birth, which requires a mother, <laughs> okay? <clears throat> it required a birth, it required a mother. That accomplishes the human part, right? But in order for this human to be the perfect sacrifice, this human must be perfect without blemish. I'm looking around and there's some parents in the room, there's some kids in the room. I remember my eldest daughter when she was being born. I remember being so excited. I'm like, I can't wait to meet Amelia because I want to know like what she's going to look like. I want to know what she's going to be like. I want to know what her personality is going to be like. All these things. Both of my daughters, I remember like when I could discover what they were like. Uh, youth in the room, I guarantee you, your parents were stoked when you came and stoked to discover what you would be like, what you would look like. Do you have mom's eyes or do you have dad's cheekbones or do you have whatever? Every parent does that. And I remember being so excited, like being able to see what my kids were gonna be like. 
Because children, they biologically take on the likeness of their parents. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Their features, their personality, right? Amelia, she has her dad's complexion. That'd be me. She has her mom's brown eyes. The same is true for everyone. Here's the big idea, and here's where I'm going with this. Why the virgin birth? Other than just being a really impressive, cool miracle, why? It was, it was necessary. Mary provided the humanness. God provided the holiness. And you needed both to be the perfect divine sacrifice. Do you guys see this? I want you to understand it. It's more than just like, oh, that's a really cool miracle. Oh, that's something that's a sign pointing to God and his power. Absolutely it is. But I want you to see the brilliance behind the creator. I want you to see the redeemer's brilliance here. Without the virgin birth, without the Holy Spirit conceiving the child, you just have another human being with a sinful nature. Mankind needed a greater sacrifice. Remember, mankind needed divine blood, holy blood, sinless blood. And so I just want for us this Christmas, I want us to see the brilliance of God here, the grace of God here. He formulated a plan to accomplish what was seemingly impossible, saving his people from their sin, something that required so much innocent bloodshed through the perfect substitute of his very own divine blood. The virgin birth is a manifestation of the brilliance and the grace of God for you and for me. Lastly, here's where I'm going, okay? Lastly, I want you to look back at verse 20. Look back at verse 20. I'm gonna read it. But after he had considered these things, he, there's Joseph, right? He's, he's thinking, hey, should I divorce Mary? That baby's not mine. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Pause. Joseph, son of David. Remember last week we talked about the beauty in that genealogy? That man, God, he's gracious to and through broken and sinful people like you and me. God's redemptive plan, right? It included generations of people, all kinds of broken and sinful people. We talk about God being a God of the nations all the time in our church. We wanna see every, uh, every tribe, every tongue, every nation come to an understanding of the goodness of God, the grace of God. We're big about that. We've sent people all over the world, Northern Africa, like all over the planet, South Africa. Uh, Maria's going to... India very soon here. All nations, right? We talk about God being a God of the nations, all people groups, but hear me. God isn't just a God of the nations. This is big. God is a God of generations. He's a God of generations. Joseph came generations after David, like hundreds of years after King David. Generation after generation after generation after generation. God isn't just the God of the nations. He's a God of generations. That means those before you, make it personal for just a second. Insert yourself for just a second. You, those that have gone before you and those that will come after you. 
He's so much bigger than I think we give him credit for. I don't know about you, man. I find myself all the time, guys, getting like these insulated thoughts where I'm just like in my own little world experiencing my own like struggles and my own challenges and the things that are difficult for me. And I lose sight of the big picture. I don't zoom out. I don't zoom out in the scriptures. I don't zoom out in time to see all of the amazing, like majestic ways that God has been intervening in creation for generations for just a moment, zoom out with me. God's plan for redemption, it wasn't just for Abraham. So many generations back, it wasn't just for David, it was for Mary and Joseph too. Mary and Joseph, or I'm sorry, Mary, Mary specifically, she would have been about 13 or 14 years old when this happened. God's a God of generations. Can I just talk to the youth for just a second? Can I talk to you guys for just a moment? Hear me. God's plan for redemption, that's what we're talking about, generation after generation. His plan of redeeming people and intervening and saving. His plan for redemption, it isn't just for your parents and your grandparents. It's for you too. Because God's an author. And the story that he's writing is the renewal of all things. And that includes renewing and redeeming you and including you in that story of renewing and redeeming everything. Everything. Every area of life. God isn't just a God of the nations, he's a God of generations. Mary and Joseph were normal folks. They were, they were totally normal people, okay? Who stepped into their place within God's story of redemption. There was a place for them at the table. God invited them into it and they said yes. They stepped into that place within God's story of redemption. Youth, can I talk to you again? You need to know this church, it exists to help you, help you discover and live out your purpose. I know it's like, okay, junior high, high school, still trying to wrap your brain around a lot of different things, but hear me. God created you uniquely with a purpose, with a seat at the table to include you in his story of redemption, the redemption of all things. There's nothing more important than you could ever participate in. There's no team that's more like intense and amazing. There's no adventure that's more intense and amazing. God's plan to renew you and everything around you includes you. And our church exists to support you, to help you, to walk alongside you, to encourage you and stepping into being the man and the woman that God created you to be. Hear me say that. Each one of your stories is unique, but it all has one thing in common. Radically loving God and radically loving the people around you. And sometimes when you do that, other people will misunderstand you. And it becomes challenging. But you were created with a purpose. And God's fiercely loyal to you and he's dedicated to you and he loves you. And friends, the same thing is true for you. It's not just for them. We exist as a church family. God has made us a church family to support each other, to help each other grow as disciples, right? Disciples, someone who's learning to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus in every area of life. 
In other words, to step into participating in his plan of redemption, all of us working together in the same way that we encourage the young ones to step into who God's created them to be, the same thing is true for each of us. This might be cheesy, but I think there's power in doing things like this. Um, If you're an adult and you're a member of our church, will you just raise your hand really quickly, like really high in the sky? Don't feel weird if you're not, if you're visiting with us, so stoked you're here. Okay, youth, keep it up, keep them up high. Youth, just do me a favor. I just want you to look around the room. Look around the room and look at these hands and look at their faces. Talking to you, Ethan. God himself brought us together as a church family. He didn't just choose you for his team. He chose you to be part of this family. And these men and women, they're committed to each other and they're committed to you. And I want you to know this isn't like an accident. This isn't like a coincidence. This is the author of life writing a story and using real people like them to bring you into his family. Thanks, guys. God isn't just the God of the nations. He's not just the God of all types of people. He's a God of generations. All right, I'll close with this. Ben, if you guys want to come up. Prayer team, if you guys want to assemble. Different morning, I know. I've been really cloudy all week. But I want us to zoom out this morning. I really want us to see the big picture of what God's doing because there's so much junk happening in the world around us right now that if you're anything like me, you can get so caught up in the brokenness. You can get so caught up in the hurt. You can get so caught up in like the effects of sin in my life and the effects of sin in other people's lives that we fail to see God's plan of redemption actually playing out because it is. All right, you guys with me? We okay? That's fine, I'm gonna keep talking. Okay. And finally, just I want you to consider what this passage reveals about God for a moment. We've kind of contextualized it for us, the reality of the Christ coming and what that means for each of us as individuals, what that means for Restored Temecula. Let's do something else here. I want you to consider what this passage reveals about God. Okay, and it's a lot. Here's a few things that I want you to consider as we transition into a time of response, okay? The first thing I want you to consider is his brilliance. He's, an, he's not just an artist. He's the greatest thinker ever. He speaks things into existence. He, we talked about it last week. He knit you together in your mother's womb and he knit her together in her mother's womb. His intentionality, his brilliance. Some of you are in seasons of your life where you're like, I'm desperate for wisdom, man. I'm trying to make decisions that kind of transcend like morality. It's like, is it right or wrong to marry this person? Or is it like, is it right or wrong to pursue this business interest? Is it right? No, you need wisdom. Like, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to my friend Jesus. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Jesus, he accomplished what was seemingly impossible 
redeeming sinners from their sin, death and separation. He dealt with the two big problems. He accomplished what was seemingly impossible. Nothing's impossible for him. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, man. Nothing is impossible for him. Some of you feel like you're stuck in a rut. Things are never gonna change. You need to be reminded, like, even when you don't understand, his brilliance transcends our vantage point. Nothing's impossible for him. And he's, he's working all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's his children, that's his family. I want you to consider his brilliance that we see here in this passage. I want you to consider his grace. We talk about it a lot, but can we like give our hearts over to it, please? Or can we just be those kind of Western Christians who just kind of go through the motions, attend events, check it off the box, feel good about myself, cool. Or can we actually encounter the living God through his grace? Like this is the God who offered his own divine blood to cover me, man, to cleanse me of my sin, to cleanse you of your sin once and for all. And can you just consider <laughs> that he loves you? No matter what anybody says about you, he loves you. Like, he willingly came. He didn't have to. He wouldn't be any less good or less just or less like glorious if he chose not to. But he did because he loves you. He willingly came knowing what it would require of him. I want you to consider also his desire to include you. Some of you, some of you genuinely struggle with like a loneliness. You feel excluded. Hear me. The God of the universe has gone, let's just say he's gone out of his way to include you. There's tables in cafeterias at school in junior high and high school. Cool kids table, right? Sitting at the cool kids table. And sometimes there's like pain associated with being excluded from people groups that you want to belong to when you're young that actually kind of carries with you into adulthood. And the cool kids table kind of morphs into something else, but it's still the same thing. It's not a table at like a lunch cafeteria area. Maybe it's just like a friend group or a mom group. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Can I just encourage you? Can I encourage you with the desire of God to include you? How do we know? He's the God of generations generation after generation, pursuing, beckoning, inviting. And one more thing, and then I'll shut up. Do you remember uh, in this passage, 
Do you remember the first thing the angel says to Joseph, right? Joseph's thinking about bailing. He's thinking about like, hey, I'm just gonna kind of quietly divorce her. This kid's not mine, it's a sketch, whatever. Do you remember the first thing that the angel said to him? Look back at verse 20 one more time. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from who? The Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Why? Because God's literally with you. Fill your name in the blank, man. Fill your name in the blank. Kaylin, daughter of Aaron and Sarah, don't be afraid because God's with you, girl. Everett, son of Kylo and Andrea, grandson of Scott and Karen. Don't be afraid when anything comes your way because God's with you, dude. Friends, you've got to understand the personal nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a God of generations. And why did he do it? He did it to redeem and he did it to empower and he did it so that you would never be afraid. The most most frequent command in the scriptures is don't be afraid. Psalm 23, verse four, I'll fear no evil. It's It's the classic, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Can we have a Christmas season where no matter what we face, no matter what's happening in society and economy and all of these sectors that are spiraling out of control, why? Because Jesus isn't the king of that kingdom. It's a different kingdom. When we face all of these things, what if we faced it this Christmas as people who weren't afraid but had confidence in the brilliance of God in every situation, in his grace that he offers us every single day, in the love that he has for us and his desire to include us in the ongoing work of redemption? What if we, went, what if we weren't afraid? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for a very different morning. Thank you for a morning where you maybe just maybe solidify your invitation for us to step into who we truly are. And maybe it looks like zooming out sometimes and looking at the big picture. Maybe it looks like spending some time looking at the details of your word, the details of what you've done, the details of what you said, the details of what you're building in our church family, what you're, what you're doing within us and among us. Maybe it doesn't always look like the entertaining kind of like dopamine rush 
or the exhilarating emotional experience, maybe, just maybe, it looks like slowing down just a little bit to realize our place in the grand story of redemption. You're the author, Jesus. You're the hero. You're the savior. You're the Christ. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to minister to us right now in light of all that. We want to respond to you. We don't want to just be people who like no concepts. We actually want to respond with worship, with adoration, with praise. We want to encounter you. We want to know you and be known by you, Jesus. So we invite you now, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right. We have plenty of time this morning, like plenty of time. So what we're going to do is we're going to take however much time is necessary while we still have it to respond to God's goodness. Band's going to minister to us. This is a time where you can respond with praise. You can stand. You can sit. You can sing. You can contemplate. There's trusted men and women in the back that are available to pray for you. If... I feel like there's some of you adults, I was kind of highlighting the youth this morning. There's some of you adults that you've like, you've either not stepped into your, your kind of unique, the, the, the invitation that God's placed on your life to step into the story of redemption, the unique role that he's called you to play. Some people call, some people refer it to as your calling. Some of you like haven't done that yet. 30 years has gone by, 40 years has gone by and you haven't actually stepped into that because there's been some uncertainty and there's been some fear. I want to encourage you, receive prayer from the Lord. Some of you, there's people in your life that you're watching them avoid that and your heart's breaking and you want that for them. Some of you parents in the room, you want that for your kids and you don't know how to lead them into that. Some of them, some of you, you want it for your kids and you do, but you're struggling with like, how's this going to play out? Receive prayer. Some of you are, are, are genuinely battling loneliness and not because there's not, you're not around people, but because there's like deep pain in your heart I feel like God even right now is like highlighting um, like, like when you lose people, when you lose people close to you and it's not just death, it's like betrayal, it's like hurt. Listen, I'm convinced the spirit of God wants to minister to us this morning. That's what we're gonna do for the next 25 minutes or so. Respond to his goodness. You can get prayer whenever you want. You can sing praises with us. But let's respond to the love of God. Let's enjoy him. I love you guys very much. So uh, a couple things that uh, came up during, during the gathering that I want to share with you guys. And um, so Heidi came up. Let's see, Heidi's right there. And she shared something. And if you don't know Heidi, she helps to oversee our prayer team. And she's just, she just hears from the Lord. And today she had this, um, this picture. Actually, it's two movie pictures, which I love. You guys can have a seat if, <laughs> sorry, I didn't make that clear. Go ahead and grab a seat. This is a new movie, new movie called Encanto. I think it's Pixar, <clears throat> Disney, whatever, animated. And there's a, a song. And the song has as its theme this idea of like waiting on a miracle. And Heidi brought that, brought that to my attention. And she had this sense of 
there be people here who are like waiting on God to do something amazing. And it just kind of feels like maybe it's like hard to find him. It's like, I can't find him, is what she said. And so I think there's an invitation for you. If you're facing something that feels bigger than you, you feel overwhelmed by something in your life, maybe it's a miracle. It could be like physical, it could be a bunch of different things. Your relationship, there's an invitation to ask. That was the clear, the clear like next step is just to ask, ask him. And then I had Kevin come up also at the same time. Two people I love just come in with movie references. I'm like, is this heaven? And Kevin came up with a, a Matrix. If there's any Matrix fans in the house, a Matrix. And I, I think, I guess it's okay. It's been like 20 years since they came out. So I'm going to ruin them potentially a little bit for you. The fourth one's coming out soon. Check that out if you'd like to. It's a little bit, little bit of backstory for you. But there's a moment in... The, um, in the Matrix movies, like Neo, the main character, Keanu Reeves, he's set free, essentially. He doesn't know that he's, a, he's essentially a slave. And his eyes are opened and he's set free. But when he comes out, it's, it's cloudy. You can't really see all that well. And there's a sense of cloudiness that hangs over humanity. And I think it was in the, potentially in the second or third movie, maybe the third one, where he and Trinity another character, get kind of lifted up above it. And she says, it's beautiful. And when Kevin was, was kind of breaking this down for me, he, he mentioned that there might be a sense of like fogginess or clouds that like kind of hangs over and that the Lord has this desire to pierce the clouds so that you can see him, experience his love and his presence above the, the fog, the the clouds that hang over our world. And interestingly, the, the, I was like, so what does that mean? What's the action step? And Kevin said to ask. Heidi said to ask. Kevin said to ask. There's an invitation here for every single person in this room to ask. If you're waiting to experience more of his presence, if you're waiting for God to move, ask him. As Tom laid out, he came for us. He's already come. He's already revealed what God is like in the person of Jesus. He's trustworthy, he's safe, he's good. Ask him, ask him for what you need. So Heidi's over here, Kevin's back there, he's praying. We've got Scott over here, we've got Heather, we've got Ebony, bunch of people back here that would love to pray for you. If this is resonating with you, if this is for you, I'll be up here, come find me as well. So just ask him for whatever it is that you need. He's very willing. The last thing I want to say real quick is I've been thinking about Mary all morning. And I don't know if, I don't know about you, there might be some people in the room who are like, my, <laughs> the story is kind of, it's a weird story. So Mary, being young and, hit, and 13, she gets this incredible call in her life, and then all of a sudden it's, you know what it says in Luke's account? It says that she was terrified. So some of you might be feeling like this idea of like God's, God's ways resulting in being misunderstood, being invited into this drama and partnering with him, that would be terrifying to you. It was for Mary too. It was. 
But the amazing thing, what does Mary say to all that? She says, may it be done to me according to your word. Her response was trust. I really do believe Mary had a choice. God laid out his plan. God doesn't obliterate Mary or her choice. It was like, I'm gonna overshadow you, Mary. And here's what, I, here's what I'm gonna do. And she was like, yes, yes. So on the one hand, here's what I'm saying. Some of us today, we need to ask for what we need, specifically from him. For other, others of us, I want you to know that God doesn't obliterate your choice. He invites you into a life with him. I know that's really important because some of us have had authority, issues with authority in our life, and we've experienced abuse and all kinds of terrible things. God's not an abusive dad or a neglectful father. He's an invitational father who says, here's what I have. And to the people who say, may it be done to me according to your word, it's gonna be scary at times. You're gonna feel a range of emotions, terror, like Mary experienced, that you also in the Magnificat, if you haven't read that, it's like exuberant praise. You're gonna experience that whole range of emotions in the middle, in between. That's the life that he's inviting you to. So you can ask on the one hand for whatever you need, and in some of you, he's asking you, here's what I'm offering. Come and join me, come and follow me. If any of this is resonating for you, go get prayer in the back. I'll also be up here and I'd love to pray for you. So I'm gonna pray for our church and pray for us. And we'll wrap. Uh, Father, thank you that you are God with us. Emmanuel. I thank you that you came to save your people from our sins. I thank you that you work in mysterious ways. That there's an invitation to be misunderstood a reality of like, dude, this is scary. This is frightening. I am deeply disturbed. And at the same time, here I am. May it be done to me according to your word, Lord. And incredible things happen. And before we know it, we're a partner. We're your partners in this world to see your plan of redemption unfold. Your plan to save, restore, and redeem humanity. We get to be a part of it. And I thank you that you don't obliterate us, that you don't use coercion, or like you, you invite us and then you're, you extend your hands out. Come with me and watch what happens. And so I pray that each of us would respond by saying, me, Lord, pick me. Send me. So I pray for that. And I also pray for men and women in this room, young people, whoever, needs something from, from you today. Maybe need a miracle of some kind that they would ask. Or needs to be lifted above the clouds to see your beauty and taste your presence and your goodness. I pray that we would ask. We would ask and we would receive. Ask and receive. Ask and receive. May that mark our church in this season of waiting. This season of remembering the arrival of King Jesus. May we ask and see the Lord come through in major ways. We love you and we thank you. It's your sons of me prayer. Amen. Anything else? Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna be done. Please go get prayer. And if if um, if you want to, you can ask somebody else. If if it's filled up back there, 
Come and grab somebody else. We'd love to pray for you. We love you. Enjoy your Sunday.